Hey guys, welcome to another episode. We are having an amazing week. We have an amazing guest. Um, you know, everybody on that listens to Vertical Momentum knows that I have the best thought leaders in the world come on here every time. And today we have an amazing guest, but I want to thank our sponsor, um, Soldier Girl Coffee. So for you guys that love coffee, check out Soldier Girl Coffee. She is a United States veteran. She also struggled with some MST and PTSD issues. So that's why um, I highly recommend you talk to her. Um, Soldier Coffee and it's coffee with a mission. Uh, Miss Gianna, welcome to the show. Um, I love the nice Jewish name that you have, by the way. <laughs> um, I'm from I'm from New Jersey, and my my niece is actually named Gianna. So you oh, have that you have that nice that. that nice Italian Italian name. How are you doing today? I am fabulous. It's funny. I often tell people my name and then say I'm very Irish, right? Just to spark that conversation up. So. <laughs> Thank you for recognizing that. I'm doing amazing. Thank you for having me on today. Oh, thank you. Like I said, this is a brand new show that um, it's going to, I think is going to change the world. And it's, it, this show goes out to entrepreneurs. It goes out to veterans and um, it's just going to change people's perspective. And I love having thought leaders on like yourself. So you got to tell us uh, what got you into the love of helping veterans what what was it that made, that touched your heart? Hello. So I think her screen locked up and sometimes that will um, kick us off or will just stunt us for a moment. But she does a lot of work with um, with veterans. She has a big heart for veterans and she is the CEO at the National Warrior Foundation. Am I one? Yeah, but I think anytime it goes a lock, it automatically cuts us off. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know that. <laughs> no, so it's all good. Uh, so I just, you just got to keep tapping it, I guess. But I'll keep but, my finger on it now. There you go. Um, so what <laughs> made you have such a heart of service? Well, like I, like I was had been saying before I so rudely let my phone go to lock, uh, my mom worked a lot with veterans when I was growing up. My grandfather and father were in the military, and then I married a paratrooper. And when I married the paratrooper, excuse me, um, I became an instant big sister and, you know, mom figure to a lot of people. I hate to make myself sound old there. Um, And through that, our house was always filled. And um, my husband lost his best friend on the initial invasion. After 9-11, he got blown up. And so that kind of started uh, 
a round table at our house every night of um, taking care of those, the 501st guys. And as they were going in country, um, ensuring that their families were taken care of and that they were taken care of coming home. And after that, I went to work for the National Guard for the general. Um, I worked there for 17 years and then I was the director of the USO. And during all of that time, what I saw and experienced was a tremendous amount of loss through uh, suicide, suicide, suicidal ideation, mental wellness that were things that needed to be addressed. And um, that has pretty much been my entire adult life mission. Um, and that is how that was. That's the fruition of how uh, National Warrior Foundation came to be. Now, um, you know, because I've over the now between both podcasts, I've spoken to hundreds of people, uh, veterans, and but we really don't get a chance to talk to veteran spouses, mm-hmm. and and a lot of times, you know, they get forgotten, um, not by me, but by a lot of people, and they don't, you know, a lot of people don't realize that the spouses, you know, they're doing the same time, they're being deployed, they're deployed at home while you're deployed overseas. Right. And, you know, they're trying to take care of the house, the family, the kids, the finances and worrying about the people that are over the seas. So how does spouses I know that, you know, like the Navy SEAL community, they have a, a big they're very close knit. So um, what was it like being a spouse of a military personnel? You know, I would say if. I'm no longer married to my partner, but I would say that the greatest thing beyond my children that came out of being married um, to my ex was this sense of community that I have and continue to have. And um, all of our friends, you know, are still there with us. And I immediately was welcomed in just even when we were just dating that community is going to last for the rest of my life, no matter where I go to. But I think um, that you're accurate in the fact that it's not that people don't care. It's just that the focus tends to be on the service member. And they forget that, I'll use myself as an example, on my on my former spouse's last deployment, um, You know, one, I'm staying awake so that I can talk to him when he's awake on his time and then keeping the kids up so they can talk to him. And then there's a ripple effect from my stress going into work. Thankfully I did work for the general. So they were very um, understanding of what the situation is, but you know, which general is this? Uh, at that time I was working for general Katkus for the national guard. Okay. Yeah. So I've, I worked for three different generals um, through the National Guard, which was great. I mean, they understood they empowered me to have a voice to speak up for the families and the service members um, in all branches. But I, I, I think what people don't think about is though your children, as resilient as they are and spouses, as resilient as they try to be when they go to their jobs, or those kids go to school, the effects that they have while that partner is deployed translates down through the partner that's at home and therefore to the children or the people that that partner works with. And so we really try to emphasize that um, every service member is someone's neighbor. And so every deployment not only affects, 
affects the family of the deployed, it also affects all of the surrounding people and whomever the support is for that family as well. You know, you're right on point. Um, you know, and a lot of things, like I said, I don't know where this conversation is going to go, but <laughs> it is what it is. It's okay. Uh, it's, you know, it's, it's somebody, it's something, somebody's going to listen and, and pick something out of this that they need. So, you know, a lot of got times when people get deployed, you know, women, men, um, you know, say if you're gone for 18 months, you know, sometimes if you have young children, you know, you, you know, the father, the, the mother comes home and sometimes have a problem integrating back into the family unit because that person that was home is paying all the bills. Yes. You know, they're buying all the groceries, you know, they're tucking the children into bed, you know, and, and then the person that's coming home is trying to fit back in, but it, it, it's a weird, you know, it's a, it's a weird dichotomy. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So how did you deal with that? You know, it is really difficult because the, per- the person that is coming home wants to have the normalcy of what it was when they left. That's what they remember. That's what they think about while they're deployed. And and they want to come back to that exact same situation. But in all actuality, our last deployment was 18 months. I think it might've been the only deployment during that timeframe that had been um, 18 months to that because they shortened them right after that. But um, the, the reality of that is the children grow. I, I had to learn to be more independent while he was on that, on that deployment and do things on my own and then trying to reintegrate to what that new normalcy looks like. It's a, it's a difficult transition to have. And if you don't have really great communication, not only prior to the deployment and during the deployment, but are able to have those difficult conversations when that service member comes home, about where you each fit in and how you're going to have this new relationship because it is new. It's not the relationship prior and it's not the relationship during the deployment. It's a brand new relationship and you have to be able to evolve with that. Uh, And it's not easy. Uh, That is where we have a lot of, um, especially young families, really struggle on that reintegration coming back through. And we have to focus on making sure that they have good leadership and good muses that they can go talk to and and get good, sturdy advice and not just throw in the towel, which is very easy to do nowadays. You know, and so and first of all, you know, I, I want to, you know, thank you. And I'm truly honored and blessed that you took the time to hang out with us today. Um, when I said that I'm honored and blessed, I, I, I mean it. Um, so now when a soldier gets home or airman or, you know, Navy veteran gets home from a, a deployment, they're not the same person that left now. So how is it? Cause you've talked to more people than I ever will. Um, how is it when they get home and, you know, like a, a lot of times military personnel will come home and they're so hyper vigil vigilant. Yeah. You know, or they, you know, we'll, we would snap like, you know, like my wife, will, we go about it crazy all the time because, you know, she's, she's a full, full blooded Sicilian. So <laughs> oh, I she, love her. <laughs> so when she gets stuck in traffic, she's the F word and, and this and all that. And I'm like, honey, it's no big deal. If there's no bombs going around those, yeah. it's not a big friggin' deal. But for her, it's life. 
but for you know it's, we have a different perspective so what was that you know coming home you know when your ex spouse came home having the different perspective on, on on life in general it must have been a total you know total shock you know when you're when you're you know he's looking at the doors all the time or, or he can't sleep or every noise makes you know he's up and he's jumping around it must have been like total culture shock for you when he first came home, the first deployment. The first deployment was, it was brand new to me. And I, I do not remember my father. Um, he was in the military when I was very, very young and definitely don't remember my grandfather. And although I had been working in this field for years, um, it, I hadn't experienced it firsthand. And now it's a very it's very humbling because I was giving out advice, to, of course, to what I thought was the best advice, but not having had that firsthand experience until that deployment. And um, it's it, it it was not easy. Like It wasn't easy to understand. I didn't understand the door thing, the back against the door, which now I got whenever I go anywhere like my son's on his third deployment right now. I just know when we walk in, I'm fully aware that he wants to be looking at the door. I don't make him feel like there's anything wrong with that, where before I'm also uncomfortable with my back to the door. So it would kind of be a little bit of a tiff with my ex and I, but not having understood that that is something that was ingrained in him while he was gone. And so on, on the spouse who's at home, what I would say is learning to be a little more empathetic to the situation that they have been experiencing for however long they're gone. I, I mean, I, six to nine months is what they're doing right now. Um, I, I have a plethora of friends in the special operations community. And, you know, now we're talking 20 years I've been doing this. And so I, I understand the little uh, the little things that might be stressful to them. And, you know, we don't go, we're not going out to big bars where there's a lot of people that is an uncontrolled situation. But I think as the partner at home, you really have to be cognizant and thoughtful in your actions and take a moment prior to getting worked up over a reaction that they may have had coming from the deployment just taking a breath and then thinking in your head, is this person reacting emotionally to something that I have done? Or is this a reaction from something that they've experienced over the last, you know, however long while they've been gone? You know, I love that. And I just want to say, you know, like I said, I don't know where my conversations go because of the, the whole ADD thing is great. And what a traumatic, <laughs> what a traumatic brain injury, who knows where it goes, but you know, talking about special operators, you know, since I've had the honor of hosting my last show in this show, I've gotten to meet so many, you know, Delta Force, you know, and different um, Navy SEALs and stuff like that. Um, they're a different breed of people. Yeah. And yeah. Um, the people you think, you know, you think Navy SEAL, you think, you know, Delta Force, you know, you're thinking Chuck Norris. And a lot of these guys, you're, you look at them, you're like, wait a minute, they look like my accountant but a lot of them are very cerebral you know what i mean they're very well read oh yes you know like i just uh interviewed brent gleason uh, he had a book out called embrace the suck oh yeah yeah and he was on and it's like it's amazing how 
you know, you think of, you know, as a Navy SEAL as being, you know, all jacked and, you know, six foot five. And, but, <laughs> but they're, you know, they're a lot of them are not that way. And a lot of them are so approachable, which you wouldn't think with the reputation that they would be very approachable. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I not going to ever say that I have favorites, but I was raised by the, by the Rangers and I sit on two Ranger boards. And so they tend to be my little pumpkin butts, which I'm sure they cringe whenever I say that. But I remember meeting the group when I first went down to SHOT Show for um, an event and met with the National Ranger Association. And I remember thinking, you guys look so big and scary and you are the most thoughtful human beings I have ever met in my life. They are so concerned about their community and their circle and one another. And I will give you an example. I have um, a gold star mom who uh, her son was Doc Penny and she she's all by herself. I mean, she's much older, but she gives back to the community so much. She works in a lot of nonprofit stuff and um, she helps write grants and she just does all this amazing stuff to give back to the community since her son is gone. Well, I knew that she was struggling a little bit with some things around the house that she just didn't have the capacity to do anymore. So I called some of the rangers that I know from the Killer Man Sons and just kind of said, these are some things that I she's going to need help with. Can you guys do it? And they rounded up all of their guys and went over and totally took care of her. And that's how the special operations community is. If you need something and they know, and you're within that realm of their family, so to speak, whether it's blood or not, they will go above and beyond to take care of you. They are, I love them. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's pretty amazing. You know, like I said, I've talked to many you know, operators and, you know, it's all about team. Yes, hundred percent. You know, it's never me. Now, I, I also, you know, since we've become acquainted now, I follow you and, and um, I love the article that you wrote about, you know, or had about the, the, the homeless veteran population. Yeah. You know, why do you think, you know, I'm a person, you know, 32 years clean and sober. Um, I came, I was homeless and, mm. you know, a lot of, you know, but, you know, we'll, we'll start it this way. You know, um, I'm not a professional, obviously, but um, I've interviewed a lot of people. And when an adult acts out, it's usually because of trauma. Right. That happened between the ages of three and 13. And then if you add the military and war or war, and then you add alcohol to the mix. Yeah. It becomes a perfect storm. Mm-hmm. And nobody teaches you how to get out of the perfect storm. So what do you think are some of the reasons for the homeless population being so many veterans? I think first we have to look at what the, the demographic of that uh, homeless veteran population is. And they are your Vietnam era veterans is the majority of it, obviously not the totality. Um, and so, you know, when you look at that, group and that age group of how they were raised. So you're talking my dad's generation, how, how they were raised a little more stoic, right? Not as expressive as we're teaching all people, not just men, but 
all people to be nowadays to communicate better when they're struggling. Um, they didn't do that. They held that in. And so then they came home to an ungrateful, not all of America, but they definitely didn't come home to the welcome that we're giving service members now. And they didn't have the coping skills that were needed to move forward. Um, a lot of them, I'm just obviously generalizing most of this, but the coping skills to, um, to deal with PTS, right? Which we, I mean, we want to get rid of that disorder, whatever that takes, um, to deal with PTS, you know, it's gone by a number of different names. And so they did go to, um, drinking. And I mean, we know that heroin was a big thing at that point. And so pulling yourself back out, if you don't have that support system and whether your family stayed with you and supported or not, it, I can, I have not been homeless, but I, I know a few veterans who have been, and I know that without that sense of community and support, which the only community they had, if their families weren't supporting them is now spread out all over the world because everybody came home and went back to their place, right? So your family, so to speak, is not there helping you stay above water. So I think we have to look at that. I think we have to look at um, definitely alcohol plays a huge factor. And even service members that are coming home now, when I worked for the National Guard, I had a lot of um, service members who were living in their car. And, and for them, it was that they took this one weekend a month job and then they were trying to hold down another job and or they came home from a deployment and didn't know their rights and quit their job before their deployment, not understanding that their job was going to, I mean, it's federally saved that they could come back to that position or another one at the same level. Um, and so they, you know, they don't understand the, the nuances of how to work the system and how to um, bring themselves to ask for help, which I think people are really getting better at now. But prior, you know, prior to that, we just, it wasn't discussed. We didn't, it wasn't normal. It, and we're trying to normalize that conversation now. You know, and I, you know, cause I was in the national guard and I, you know, you just got me thinking back to where, you know, when we were deployed for 18 months, um, back in 2003, you know, there was guys, you know, worried about their job at home. You yeah. know, are they, job when they get home you know and, and and their bosses threaten them even though they're you know they they're not supposed to threaten them but this is back in 2003 yeah you know, and you're thinking wait a minute i'm out here you know protecting our country and i don't even know if i'm gonna have a job yep. when i get back home and it's and it, it really grates on on the family yeah you know that uncertainty were you in the national guard uh out east Yes, yeah, so I was in uh, South Carolina National Guard in 2013. Well, thank you for your service, friend. And, you know, and I was thinking, you know, it just got me thinking, you know, like a lot of people, you know, when they got deployed for 18 months, you know, they had to give up their apartment. You know, they had to give up their. Um, Absolutely. And, and a, you know, a job or, you know, they'll say, well, we'll keep you a job, but you're not guaranteed the same job that you had before. Right. And so, you know, you're, you're like, wait a minute. So now I got to focus on home and I got to focus on the job. It's like, which one do I do? So when they would get off work, you know, they would, you know, talk to the wife and talk to the kids and they just get hammered. 
because they didn't know any other way to deal with that. Yeah. And depending on what your rank is, that deployment could either help get you some, you know, savings in for the next 18 months, or it could really be taking a hard hit for you because we had a lot of guard members who were making way more money on the civilian side than they were for, for whatever their rank was, at, you know, while they deployed. And then that hurts the family as well. Right. I mean, we know that finances can be devastating to our service members. I mean, like I told, you know, I, I totally get that. I mean, there, there was some people that came back and they had to declare bankruptcy because, mm. because they were serving their country. But then again, some people were just being stupid. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, I mean, you know, I mean, you know, if you're living in South Carolina, you know, and all of a sudden you get deployed and you're getting, you know, you're making good money and you're driving around in, in a brand new car that's $500 a month. And then they get back off deployment and they're like, wait a minute, I don't even have a job that's paid me $500 a month. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like, you know, now you're losing your car and you're going bankrupt and, and having bad credit. <laughs> you know, did you? Did you find that that you had a lot of um, guardsmen who or guards people members guard members who were um, homeless? Um, well, being one of them, um, it was all well. Mo- it was all because of my stupidity, but I I really didn't see that that much because you know when you're in a, a guard unit, it, it's more everybody from your hometown. Yeah. So it's kind of like it was you were all family. You know, you everybody knew Joe's cousin from this cousin. So you were all family. And, and so I really didn't see that much of that. But I did uh, lose a couple guys even when they got home, because, you know, when I when I talk to people, you know, they say the biggest thing when somebody comes home from deployment is, you know, or gets out of the military is you no longer have your team members yes you know like i used to i think the greatest times in my life were we were sitting in the middle of the desert at 3 a.m sitting on the top of the tank just bullshitting you know because it was the four of us but we were like you know you know we were we were the you know the four tops we were together all the time and you know you get out and you don't have those members anymore yeah. and then you don't have a mission anymore or you have a person like me that you know i got thrown out of the military the first time for being a drug addict went back in again and became a soldier of the year. But, wow. Um, yeah. But uh, what happened, you know, after I went in the second time, I, you know, I, I went to every school. I took every correspondence course. And then when I got hurt on duty and the military, you know, you know, uh, retired me out, you know, I, all of a sudden here, I lose my vision. I don't have vision anymore. I, I lose my career. And now I don't have even have a mission anymore. That's right. So what has your been experienced when you see people coming out and they just don't, they don't feel like, you know, like me for my whole thing was becoming Sergeant Kaufman. I didn't know who Richard was. So I had to figure that out. What was, has your been experience been like with talking to soldiers that have gone through the same things and come home and had to figure out who they were? Actually, that's a, uh two great points there and I'll address the first one in um, identity right and and I feel that that can be in any occupation or uh, you know like a, a 
stay-at-home mom. Her identity is to be the mom of those children. And she oftentimes really struggles as those kids leave the home, right? Now she has to reinvent herself. And service members, there was a white paper that came out of JBLM a few years ago, and they talked about, they had a number of suicides and they, the chaplain and the colonel were trying to figure out, you know, what is the root cause of all of these suicides that are happening here in the special operations community. Um, and the white paper basically, to paraphrase it down, said that when a service member is in transition, so coming home from deployment, uh, going from one unit to another unit, um, going through a divorce, whatever it looks like. On what the, what the bottom line came down was the service member didn't feel as though they had a purpose or that they mattered anymore. Um, and so while in leadership, I'm hoping is really, now that that has been published, and it feels as though, you know, from my side, that it, that a lot of leadership has really tried to be more concerned and better empathetic leaders and thoughtful leaders than they were in the past. And so if you see a struggling service member, I, I see a lot of leaders like taking an active participation in that. However, when the service members are getting out and they don't have leadership there, that's but I, I talked to a service member a couple, I don't know, last summer. And I said to him, this is an SF guy. And I said, hey, what are you going to do when you retire? Like it's getting close to retirement. I always like to ask the question. So it's at least put there in your head to start thinking about. And I will, I'll never forget this. He said to me, I'm not retiring. <laughs> okay. And in my head, I thought this guy, this is all he knows. This is it. There's nothing else in his life. So we need to start having that conversation earlier, uh, you know, two years out of, of a, before a service member transitions out. And then when they get out, we need to make sure that we're walking alongside of them or they have like the care coalition walks alongside of the soft, you know, community. And we need to do that too. And there's a number of great programs now that are really helping with um, transition and making sure that you stay aligned to your tribe and community. Um, merging vets and players is actually one of the best um, programs that I've seen that does a huddle like that. Um, uh, Jay Glazer, former UFC fighter, and Nate Boyer run that nonprofit. And, and that really helps keep you at least grounded and, and with a sense of purpose. I mean, they meet every week. So it, you have to find what is going to make you happy. And if being a soldier is all you know, then it's, it's going to be a difficult transition if you're not open to some other things. Unless you, you, know, you do something along those lines to continue to help your brothers and sisters, which is amazing. And, and that is what I see a lot of people doing. And that's why you know, I do what I do you know, to try to help as, you know, save as many lives and, you know, as I can. But now one thing I have to say is, you know, if you get a guy that, or a girl, you know, cause I've talked to some kick ass women and on my podcast, um, yeah. you know, and they're, um, and, and, you know, a lot of, I think I'm like one of the only podcasts that has a lot of women on there because they have stories to tell 
you know, especially about military sexual trauma mm-hmm. and stuff like that. It, it doesn't get talked about until recently. But, you know, you get a person that's like I just had a, a young lady on and she um, she's a firefighter in the military and had to deal with the military sexual trauma. But when you get home from, you know, doing like, say, if you're, if you're a firefighter or, you know, if you're uh, a Navy SEAL or if you're special ops and you get home and, you know, all of a sudden you're a civilian, what do you, you know, because we, we were so used to just, you know, I was a tank commander, so, you know, I'd be able to shoot shit from four miles, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, so, you know, how it's, it's hard for, to, you know, because we all become adrenaline junkies. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. then when you get home, it's like, okay, you know, you go from like one day I mean, when I was in the National Guard, one day I'm shooting tanks. The next day I'm, I'm in my, my GNC store. It's kind of like, you know, so what have you, how have you, you know, people you've talked to, how do they still get their adrenaline fix even after they get out of the military? You know, that's a great question. And I'm not sure that... I have a 100% answer for you on that. I, I've never had it phrased exactly like that. I know. I guess that's for, why they call me the veteran. <laughs> I know, for instance, um, I don't know if you know who the Killer Man Sons are. They are a um, scrolled only Ranger motorcycle club. Um, and I think I want to say they have nine chapters. Could be more. And they're going to kill me if I'm wrong on that. But I know that when... It's okay. Nobody listens to this podcast. (laughs) Well, I know for a fact that... um, So when the Rangers get out, I'm very close to the one in Savannah and the one in uh, JBLM. And so when they get out, they continue to, you know, they do big poker runs. They get together once a week. In order to stay in the chapter, you have to come, I want to say, to at least two runs a year. Um, they have that sense of camaraderie and community as well. And I'm sure that they do things that myself as a baby sister of the club doesn't really get to see that maybe helps with their adrenaline. Uh, I'm sure they do. And I don't know. (laughs) I don't even want to take a stab at the dark there, but I, I think it's important to keep that circle, whether you're male or female, to continue to have those and new adventures. There's um, actually a group called the Gorilla Group. Uh, Ryan is, uh, he teaches at SWIC. He was a second, um, not second, he was a first battalion, uh, first group, sorry, I'm all over the place this morning, first group guy out of a JBLM, and he moved down to Bragg to teach at SWIC. And when he struggled with his best friend, Andy committed suicide last, last year. And so he formed this group called the gorilla group. And basically what it was is no matter where you are in the country and it's not a nonprofit, he said, it's just a group of us who get together and we go do things. We go rock climbing, we go surfing, we go do all of these things to stay within a community, no matter where you are. And so whether it's adrenaline or not adrenaline, um, keeping that community and having a community around you, a tribe around you who also is empowered by the same things that you're doing, you know, whether you're going to go on a bear, uh, we have lots of guys that come up here and go on bear hunts. I'd imagine that's pretty adrenaline. I don't know. I've never shot a bear, but I can imagine that could be scary. So I, I think it's, 
I think it's that. I think they find their sense of community. Now you're involved with all different kinds of groups that I'm, I'm noticing. <laughs> so how do we get in touch with you? How do our listeners get in touch with you um, to help support your missions or actually maybe even become part of your mission? Absolutely. So we are um, building chapters kind of like uh, KMC and the guerrilla group. So we are, um, you can find us at nationalwarriorfoundation.org. There is a, um, you can sign up for our newsletters on there. You can sign up to volunteer. You can sign up to, if you need to send me an email, you can send me an email right through there, or you can look me up on LinkedIn. I'm on all social media um, with my name. I, I'm open to having anybody that needs to reach out, reach out to me. Uh, the, the foundation is formed upon the idea that we all have a piece of this pie to make a difference and we all have the same mission. And so if somebody needs something that we can't fulfill, it's our duty and our mission that we will walk hand in hand with you to find the right person that is the fit for you and not let go of you until you do that. Because it, it really does take a community. And I believe strongly that, you know, united, we are going to conquer the world. I love that. Uh, last question I ask everybody in, in this world, in this busy world that we live in, if I ask somebody to do something in seven days, it's, it's never going to get done. But if I ask somebody to take an actionable step in the next 24 hours, they're more likely to take it. Yeah. So if, if there's a, uh, a veteran or even active duty soldier that is struggling today, what is something they can do in the next 24 hours to get help? Reach out. Reach out to me. Uh, reach out to someone that you trust, make that first connection and let someone know that you're just, all you have to do is let them know you're struggling so that somebody has eyes on you and that maybe you can start that communication and we can get you help because it's always the strongest people that don't want to reach out for whatever fear of whether they think they're going to look like a failure or whatever the case may be but you're not being vulnerable is being strong. Uh, you know what? I love that quote. I'm probably actually going to use that for, your, <laughs> for, for your, uh, for the graphic. Being... Thank you. Well, guys, I want to thank our sponsor. Like I said, I want to thank soldier girl coffee. Um, and she's a, one of the ladies I was talking to that has dealt with PTSD and different issues. And her coffee company is, actually going to help hire more veterans. So it. check out Soldier Girl Coffee. Guys, please subscribe. Please share. Definitely check out Gianna and get in touch with her. Check out the National Warrior Foundation. They're doing amazing things. And just remember the tagline for, for our program is there's no way to go but up from here. Love it. So Gianna, thank you so much thank for hanging out. Thank you so much. I truly appreciate it. And this will go out probably in the next three weeks and I'll tag you on that. And if you don't mind, if I tag the, for the foundation. Absolutely. You tag away and please let me know if there's anything that I can ever do for you as well. Like I'm happy to help. I love your mission. Well, well thank you and God bless and enjoy your weekend. You as well. Thank you, Richard. Bye-bye.